And, and I just want to remind everybody, we are in a window of opportunity right now, and, and not just because of Easter, but because where we're at as a society, we have a window of opportunity to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ and to use our words to do it. We, we got an opportunity to speak the truth. And I know I keep saying this, but it is the truth. People are desperate for the truth. You can't get it anywhere. You're not going to find it on the Internet. You're not going to see it on the news. There's only one place to find the truth right now, and it's in Jesus Christ and the Word. And you and I have an opportunity to speak that. And I don't want to make anybody mad. I really don't. But I think the truth is some of us need that fire relit. Some of us have forgotten that that's the reason we're here. Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And he wasn't just talking to them. Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, when you receive the power of the Holy Spirit, you are to be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria and Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. That would include Bloomington, by the way. We got a lot to do. About a decade ago or so, I guess, uh, John Ortberg preached a sermon series, 12 sermons on the church. And if I could find it, I'm going to steal it, but I can't find it anywhere. But I remember it in that because it was fascinating, the part that I read. He was talking about evangelism tips in the book of Acts. And if you read the book of Acts, it's all about the church. If you want to know how the church started, how the church is supposed to function, how it's supposed to grow, read the book of Acts in the New Testament. And by the way, the book of Acts is still being written today, right now. In every little white church building like the one across the way, in every church building like this one, in every inner city church building, in every church building meeting in people's homes, in underground churches in China, over in the UK, in every nation, every language, every tongue, the message and the, uh, the, the message of the book of Acts is still being written. It's being written by the person sitting next to you right now, or it should be. It's written every time they talk about Jesus at Catlin or Crane. Or, or cook, or Walmart, or at school, or on the phone. Jesus is still the hound of heaven. He's still going after men and women today, and he's using us to get it done. Listen, God didn't unleash his power on the day of Pentecost and expect it just to faint out in the first century. He didn't expect you and I to just enjoy being Christians and tread water till Jesus came back to get us. We have work to do, and we need to be getting it done. So I'm going to ask you, what part of the book of Acts are you writing right now? And don't look at me like, I know you're busy, so am I. We've got jobs to work, bills to pay, families to raise, hobbies and toys to play with, movies to watch. I know we're busy, but make no mistake about it, you and I are to be witnesses of Jesus Christ. And one of these days, the book of Acts is going to be opened up for all creation to read, and your paragraph with your name on it is going to be there. What's it going to say? Well, there's <clears throat> the lines in this country are are being drawn real straight right now. They're crisp. And, and I know um, our culture is making it seem like just the opposite of that is true. Our culture is making the top of the fence look really big. There's lots of gray areas and plenty of room for you to sit on top of the fence. But I'm telling you, the fence-sitting days are over. And we got a job to do. And our message is to take Jesus Christ. So we're going to look in the book of Acts this morning and find some of these tips to get this down. And here's the first one. When it comes to the church, God's doing the work anyway. So you and I can just be bold. 
It's time to just be bold. In Acts chapter 2, verse 46, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. Who added to the number daily? The Lord did. Look, he's doing all the work, which means you and I can just be bold. We can just speak the truth nowadays unapologetically. Now, I also understand that we're living in a society right now that says they want everything. They want us to be nice and politically correct and include every group and every person and everything. But I'm just telling you, the truth is, deep down in their souls and their hearts, everybody is looking for the truth today. And we have it. I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus says. Nobody comes to the Father except by me. And you and I are in days where we can just speak that truth boldly, not abrasively, big difference. I mean boldly, and let God do the work. It's neat how this works. You and I get to plant a few seeds, and some of us get to water the seeds, but God makes it all grow. That takes the heat off of us. That means you can do it any way you want to. Whenever you're comfortable, speak the word. However you want to speak it, speak the word. Wherever you want to speak it, speak the word. Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God into the salvation of all mankind. It's huge. So here's tip number one this morning. Be bold with your witness. Be honest with yourself right now and ask yourself, where am I at in my witness level in terms of how I speak Jesus to my friends, the school, the people I work with, my family, ask yourself honestly where you're at with that and just step it up a notch. Just do what we talked about last week. Go to your neighbor and ask them, hey, where are you at with Jesus Christ? And talk to them about it. Ask the person who checks you out at Walmart where they're at. Invite an unsaved relative to church. Send a text. Talk to somebody on the phone. Let's show the Lord and the entire world that we're not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God to salvation. Hey, God's doing all the work anyway. Let's just go speak it. Tip number two, nobody's out of God's reach, so go get them. In Acts chapter 6, verse 7, so the word of God spread, and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Isn't that interesting? Why would Luke even bother to tell us about Why didn't Luke just say a bunch of people came and let that be that? But no, he said, and a bunch of priests came too, like that's a big deal or something. Let me ask you a few questions. What do you call a guy who likes to work out every day? Jim. <laughs> what do you call a kid that likes to hang out on the wall? Art. Come on, I'm going to keep telling until you laugh. You guys sent this book to me, okay? What do you call a guy that wears a map on his head? Miles. <laughs> what do you call a guy with a shovel? Doug. What do you call a guy without a shovel? Douglas. <laughs> what do you... What do you call a lady that's got a Christmas tree on her head? That'd be Carol. Okay, one more. What do you call a least likely person to come to Jesus while he was walking the planet? A priest. This is the least likely group of people to come to Jesus. It's like Luke saying, are you kidding me? Even the priests are coming. What's God going to do next? Invite the Gentiles? Every one of us in here knows somebody, including me, who does not know Jesus Christ right now. Go get them. Because the answer, that's tip number two, the answer to who is it that's too far away from God that you shouldn't waste your time, the answer to that is nobody. When I was at IPL, 
uh, I'd been there about a year, and I, I got transferred to operations right to the afternoon shift. And um, well, I walked in the control room with two or three other guys, two of them I'd known for a while, and there was a guy sitting at a desk with the King James Bible open doing Bible study. And somebody said, hey, Stanley, this is Jimmy Kane. You'll be interested in him. He's a preacher too. And Stanley looked up and said, I doubt it. And then they said, what are you looking at? What are you doing? And he said, certainly nothing you'd be interested in. I mean, it was ugly. Stanley was a Church of Christ Pharisee. Now, I did not say Church of Christ or Pharisees, so don't send me a bunch of emails. I said Stanley was a Church of Christ Pharisee. He liked nobody. He didn't like himself, and he didn't like anybody else. But he liked playing at being a Christian. And for two years, we talked often about the Bible and never saw eye to eye on anything. And finally, uh, one night, about 2 o'clock in the morning, we were on the midnight shift. I said, Stanley, let's flip over the book of Romans and talk about grace. Grace is powerful stuff, family. And I'll never forget it. Watching his face come up out of his hands with tears in his eyes saying, nobody ever told me this. I'm 45 years old. I'm an elder in my church. Why hasn't anybody ever told me about grace? Grace is powerful stuff. Now, today when Stanley introduces me, him and I are very close. He moved down here and became a deacon at this church for a while until he moved back home. Now, when Stanley introduces me, he says, this is Jimmy Kane. He saved my life spiritually. Now, everybody, including Stanley and I and all of you, know I didn't save his life spiritually. The gospel of Jesus Christ saved his life spiritually. But here's my point. I was ready to give up on Stan Estes. I just told Angie a week before that, I'm done with this clown at, church, at work. I mean, he's got a black heart stone. I, I'm done. And God said, no, you're not. The answer to who is it that's too far gone? The answer is nobody, because everybody is 18 inches away from God. That's the distance from here to here, and we just need to go get them. God's doing the work anyway. Tip number three, make sure you know whose job it is. It's my job, and it's your job to get this done. In Acts chapter 8, verse 1, on that day, what day? The day that Stephen was martyred and spread the gospel, and he got stoned for doing it. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Verse 4 says that all of those who were scattered went from place to place proclaiming the word. A couple of things I want you to notice. First of all, we just read in Acts chapter 1 that they were told to go out in all the world and spread the news, and they hadn't done it yet. They'd all remain right there in Jerusalem. And then a persecution broke out against the church, and the local government thought, hey, we can stop this thing right now, which is so foolish. And when the persecution started, it lit a fire under the church. It always lights a fire under the church. You look back in history, anytime the church is persecuted, it fuels the church, which, by the way, should give all of us cause on what's going on in our country right now with the quiet attack against Christianity, which is getting bolder and bolder, and I'm hoping that one of these days it fuels us and relights the fire like it did back then. Number two, I want us to notice who went. It wasn't the apostles, it wasn't the trained people, it wasn't the preacher. The people went. The brothers and sisters in the body took the message. Michael Green writes, one of the most striking features of evangelism in the early days of the church was the people who engaged in it. Communicating the faith was not the privilege of the very zealous or the officially designated evangelist. No, evangelism was the prerogative and the duty of every church member. So the question goes like this. Whose job is it to make sure the message of Jesus Christ gets to Bloomington beyond? And the answer is mine. 
And to make sure we get this, I'm going to ask that question again. And as your friend and your pastor, I'm going to ask you to speak that word, mine, loudly and mean it. Whose job is it to take Jesus to Bloomington? Yeah. Yeah, and it's time to get it done. we got work to do. It is a grand privilege and an amazing invitation to get to take this message of salvation to the world. We just talked about last week, if you weren't here last week, we talked about the half hour of silence in heaven, and we talked about what it possibly could be. And one of the possible explanations is when the angels finally got a look at the salvation, the plan of salvation, it was so huge and so tremendous and so deep that they were stunned and couldn't speak for a half hour. You and I have the privilege to take that message everywhere we go, and we need to do it. Tip number four, we need to keep a close count because everybody matters to God, everybody. I asked my brother-in-law, Dale, he drives a train for a living, and I asked him not too long ago, I said, my goodness, you've been doing this a long time. How many miles have you driven that train? And he said, I don't know, it's hard to keep track. <laughs> Just make sure you're awake. Throughout the history of the church, there's been times of turmoil and there's been times of peace. Acts chapter 9, verse 31 we read about a brief good time of peace during the church. Here's what it says. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace, and it was strengthened by the Holy Spirit. It grew in numbers, living in the fear of God. And, and by the way, there's a real good recipe for church growth. If we continue to live in the fear of God in this church and continue to invite the Holy Spirit in this place, we can't help but grow. But the phrase I want us to notice in this passage is the phrase, the church grew in numbers. Numbers. I've talked about this before. I'm going to tell you again. Every now and then, actually more often than I want to hear it, I'll have somebody say to me, well, our church, we don't, we're not into numbers. What's that mean? You don't count, right? When it's attendance down or something, you say, we're not into numbers. We, you know, we're into quality, not quantity. I just want to say, what are you, what are you smoking? I mean, <laughs> I, I, I mean, somebody counted. Have you read the Bible? Six days on the seventh he rested. Twelve tribes of Israel. Twelve apostles. Three thousand people saved on the day of Pentecost. Five thousand just a few days later. There, there were uh, uh, 100 sheep. One of them lost. One prodigal son. One lost coin. 153 fish caught on the day Jesus showed back up after the resurrection. Seven churches in the book of Revelation, seven spirits, seven lampstands, four horsemen. I could go on and on and on. Numbers count. Numbers count because they represent people, and people matter so much to God. We were in Disney several years ago. I know that shocks you. And I think Andrew, Annabelle, too many A's in my family, Ashley, that's one of our daughters. She was about three and a half years old, and she was blonde-haired, blue-eyed. We called her the bomber. And that means Annabelle, or Andrea, was about a year and a half, two. And Andrea was still in the stroller. We had one of those little cheap umbrella strollers. And we both reached down to do something with Andrea, and we looked up, and Ashley was gone. Just like that, the bomber had disappeared. And we were frantic. They still blonde-haired, blue-eyed girls. I mean, that's the number one. So we're all look over the yelling and hollering and moving around. We got Andrea with us. At least we didn't leave her. And we, she hadn't gone 15 feet. Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs were there. And so I was standing next to Grumpy and Dopey was standing right here. But we finally found, and we were so relieved. Remember how? Oh, we were so relieved. But here's my point. When we saw she was gone, Angie didn't say, eh, we still got Andrea. 
You know, she's too much of a trouble. And she didn't say, oh, she's blonde hair, blue-eyed. We can pick one of those up tomorrow. No, she said, where's my baby? I think she even said something about calling out the National Guard or something. We had 409 people here Easter, which is not even half what we normally do. But those weren't just 409 people. Those were 409 blessed babies of God. So we count. There's a book in the Bible called Numbers, by the way. And if you read chapter 1 and chapter 26 of that book, you'll see where it gets its name. It's God counting his people. You say, why would God count his people? Because they matter to him. Every one of them. And they ought to matter to us. And so practice tomorrow. Every person you look at tomorrow, you think to yourself, you matter to God. And then you pray for him. And if you can't keep that up all day, do it for an hour. I'll tell you, give you an urgency, which leads to tip five. As you evangelize, always remember what's, ex- what's at stake. Eternity is at stake here. I mean, you've got to ask, what would cause people like Barnabas and Paul to give up their lives to spread the gospel? I mean, they weren't inconvenienced. They gave up their life to do this. Well, there's a hint in Acts chapter 13, verse 48. It says, when the Gentiles heard this, heard what? The gospel. When the Gentiles heard the gospel, they were glad and honored by the word of the Lord. And, and here it is. All who heard were, and were appointed for eternal life believed. They heard it and they believed. I got to remind you, man, this is top-notch stuff. This is top priority stuff. This is not one of those sermons that you can take or leave. This is who we are. Eternal souls are hanging in the balance on this. Okay, there are people that are either going to go to heaven or hell based in part on how well you write your chapter in the book of Acts. I don't know how else to say it. And I'm sorry I don't say it more often. Every one of us in here, including me, knows somebody right now who doesn't know Jesus Christ. And we need to be reminded, I'm sorry I'm a wimp that I don't do it more often, but I'm going to tell you straight up this morning, the people who go to eternity without Jesus Christ are going to hell. And that's the way it is. And we've got to do something about that. And if you have a brother or a sister or a friend or a spouse or a child who doesn't know Jesus Christ, this ought to give you an amazing urgency. Not a guilt trip. I'm not laying a guilt trip. I'm talking about an urgency to go get them. God's doing all the work anyway. Go get them. Here's tip number six. Don't forget the power of the spoken word. Words are powerful in this life and in the next life. And what we need to remember is not our words anyway. You don't have to go to Bible college and learn how to speak, and you don't have to study to show yourself approved at all, even just to be a witness for Jesus Christ. I don't know if you remember this or not, but in the Old Testament, God used a jackass to speak. Yeah, that's a donkey. (gasps) Somebody thinks he still is. I mean, I don't know. I'm just telling you, our words are not our words. They're the words of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'd be in trouble if my mom was here this morning. Speak them. Almost done. Tip number seven. Just ask yourself, what do I have to lose? And the answer is nothing. Nothing to lose, everything to gain. Again, why do these people give up everything to spread the gospel? I mean, these people gave up their careers. They gave up their families, their, their uh, integrity sometimes, uh, their, their lives in the end. Why? Because they knew that Jesus said, anybody who seeks to keep his life is going to lose it. And anybody who tries to give up his life for my sake will find it. Is Jesus saying, here's, here's the deal. If you're all about 
making a good living and getting a retirement and taking care of your family and setting up the future, you're no good. Not even close. What he is saying is what he already said in Matthew 6, If you seek first the kingdom, all this stuff's going to be added anyway. You're to be my witnesses. When I was at Bible college, uh, we took classes to learn how to preach. <laughs> I know I probably should have taken some more, ha, ha, ha. But I remember one, one kid uh, hearing the story of a kid that, that did his trial sermon, and his professor was uh, checking it out and grading it. And at the end, he said, how'd they do? And he said, well, you did real fine. But he said, during the end, of, very end of your sermon, you, when you said, if there's anybody out here today who doesn't agree with me biblically here and uh, is kind of off a little bit on this doctrine uh, and, and doesn't really want to go where I'm going with my teachings on Jesus, then you're in, uh, you're, you're in jeopardy of maybe forfeiting an opportunity to spend eternity in heaven. He said, that's really nice. It sounded kind of wordy. Did you mean by that that if you don't accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, you're going to go to hell? He said, yeah. He said, then say it. Now, I don't know that we should be that direct these days, but we ought to be that clear. And since I'm on the subject this morning, I want to be clear. If there's somebody in this church right now, somebody listening online right now, who has not officially accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, and he comes back today. I don't make the call, but I, I know what the Word says. The Word says you're lost. Act on that right now, today. The rest of us, hey, we get to go to heaven, and certainly not because we're great people. It's because of the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ. So come up this morning. Thank him for that. Bring these people to mind with you that you prayed about earlier. Bring them up to the altar if they're here with you. You know, last week uh, we started talking about the power of the altar again and how we need to get back to that, that how we're known for a house of prayer in Bloomington. And you all came. You cannot believe the comments I heard last week of the people that came back to this altar, reminding of the power of this place. It's not magic. It's powerful. So get back in the habit of bringing your communion up to the altar and your request before him.